0: and ransomware recovery in AWS. I'm Chris on the marketing team. Thank you for joining us. If you're here with us today, you are in listen-only mode, please send us your questions via the chat box and we'll try to answer those for you at the end of the session. We're gonna jump right into the content today. Here's our agenda. A quick, what is Clumio? Healthcare data protection challenges, cloud migration considerations, Shields Health Solution, a Clumio Customer Story, Why Protect Data Lakes, and BioPlus Specialty Pharmacy Clumio Customer Story. Let me introduce today's presenter, Adam Ruscio, from Clumio. As Clumio's field CTO, Adam has helped healthcare and life sciences customers transform their ID to be more resilient, compliant, and cost-efficient. And with that, I'll turn it over to Adam to get started.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Chris. Uh, so, uh, just got back from uh, HIMSS a, a couple weeks ago, so uh, the big healthcare conference. Uh, we had a lot of good conversations, a lot of healthcare uh, providers, um, and a lot of just detailed conversations uh, in general in the healthcare space. Very, very exciting time. Um, so let's kick off. I want to talk through a little bit you today on some of the general challenges that I've seen um, across a lot of our healthcare customers. Um, and uh, but kicking off, first thing, that is is Clumio? Well, uh, Clumio is, uh, simply put, the world's most secure, scalable, and easy-to-use backup platform for data that's in AWS. Um, A lot of data is going into AWS, more and more by the minute, and we're the the key solution to really help customers protect that data that is uh, within AWS itself. Um, So some of the major things that we actually help our customers out with as well, too, uh, is we build really good data resilience and uptime and allow uptime and that data resiliency really to extend what our uh, customers are providing to their own customers Um, through especially things like uh, just ransomware protection and and helping customers uh, if they ever experience any mass encryption events and being able to really truly recover that outage or even just if there's an outage related to maybe an automation pipeline that wipes out a lot of data. Um, We're able to to help our customers quickly recover, get back up and running. Um, And all of that is is done through uh, what we call an air gap backup, since we are a a backup as a service itself. Um, Another one, too, is just uh, helping out uh, uh, our customers uh, with any of their auditing and compliance needs, too. Uh, So a key component for things like HIPAA compliance is having um, backups of patient data uh, and having those backups for a very long time. Uh, that's another area we we help out uh, very uh, frequently with our customer base. And then uh, another one, too, is just uh, in this day, uh, you know, costs are, are ever rising in IT. Budgets are shrinking. And we're able to help our customers uh, actually optimize their overall uh, backup spend uh, through a lot of our underlying technology, uh, especially when they're coming off of some of the native tool sets within AWS. So shifting gears a little bit, um, so there's a lot of uh, data protection challenges that I've seen across the customers, large and small, as they're uh, you know in AWS and moving into AWS. So some of the major uh, challenges uh, are first and foremost they have to have immutable backups. Um, that is something that used to be a lot easier to do when uh, you were backing up to a tape drive and then sending that tape, you know, to Iron Mountain, you know, and there was the whole. Uh, uh, a chain of control uh, aspect to it as well, but really designing um, an immutable backup with the native tool sets is, is a big challenge uh, within AWS for healthcare customers. Additionally, too, just avoiding those uh, service disruptions. Uh, one of the worst things that can can happen is to have um, any patient-facing applications go down um, and then uh, you know doctors and nurses are going back to paper instead of using their, their EMR systems. Um, that's not a good day for, for anybody and really affects patient outcomes too. Uh, another one is uh, long-term requirements for the retention of the backup data itself too. It's so usually six to 10 years, um, retaining things for that long in, in multiple systems, that can always be a challenge. There are new recent uh, uh, HIPAA updates as well too in 2023 where uh, just simply put, the backups need to be kept for an additional year. And then um, I know each state as well in the. US at least um, has different requirements on their own patient data as well too. so there's a lot to, to keep up to speed with. Another one too. Uh, I mean uh, healthcare in general has been uh, the biggest target for uh, malicious attackers and ransomware attacks and that also once again really results in poor patient outcomes. Um, it can mean that surgeries get you know pushed out, rescheduled, um, once again, doctors going back to, to paper, um, there's a lot of room for for error, which can be very, very bad if you're um, a patient. That's something that uh, as much as security is coming more and more and a lot of the prevention mechanisms are in place, um, you also have to make sure that you have a good recovery mechanism uh, in place as well and good recovery tools. Um, And then lastly, too, um, is there's a large prevalence that I've noticed where um, my healthcare customers are increasingly using things uh, like data lakes to get better ideas of um, not only patient data um, itself, but how they can turn that patient data into uh, solutions, into cures, into better drug testing, um, better genomics research uh, and things of that nature. And the reproducibility of that data um, tends to come under question we 'll talk a lot more in depth on that here in another slide so as part of uh, you know my conversations with healthcare providers specifically over the last couple of years, um, you know after uh, or, or during uh, the pandemic here a couple of years ago, uh, there was already a mass um, uh, just migration and movement into leveraging more and more cloud services. The you know, simple one that I saw quite often were customers who were managing things like an on-prem uh, exchange server for email uh, quickly started leveraging Microsoft 365 uh, uh, you know as a SaaS offering uh, just as a way to keep uh, you know, remote workers uh, accessible, able to, to get to their emails when they weren't able to, to show up uh, in person. Um, you know, same thing, sharing files across things like OneDrive, using SharePoint sites, and a lot of use of Teams, right, just for even face-to-face um, patient interactions over remote distances um, through a lot of the functionality in Teams. But it doesn't just stop there. There was a lot of uh, institutions as well that started their cloud journey in a much more rapid way, where it was something that was in their 2024 or 2025 plans was to start leveraging things like AWS. They started migrating very, very rapidly in 2020. Um, just so they could scale um, at the needs that they needed. And that uh, instituted a lot of additional um, considerations um, and, and challenges that, that came up. One of the big ones that I noted is that uh, really uh, the folks managing these environments, they're moving from servers, uh, you know, those on-prem servers, you're throwing them in a rack, in a data center somewhere to services. So services like Microsoft 365, which does require a completely different way of protecting that data set. But not only that too, just services like what's an AWS, like an RDS, uh, which is a database platform as a service. Um, you don't have underlying access to do fine tuning and, and granularity on that. And that also means that the native backup tools you have for things like RDS, for things like Dynamo, especially for things like uh, S3 storage, that the traditional tools you had that you leverage in your data center and those those uh, vendors that you're using for those on-prem backups uh, they don't translate well into aws cloud environments um you know they're they were definitely designed for uh that on-prem infrastructure but not optimized for uh cloud and uh, what workloads uh, tend to be seen in cloud itself another one too is there's differences in compliance um so you typically went from managing a single data center uh, maybe, you know, you had another highly available data center as well. Uh, there's some replication potentially in between those two. And you could easily kind of section off things that needed compliance versus things that didn't need compliance. The AWS world, you end up with multiple AWS accounts, you know, tens to hundreds of different AWS accounts. And each one of those accounts has maybe a different application running in it maybe um, a different uh, uh, customer-facing service or internal-facing service that's running on it. And each one of those services has a completely different um, compliance need associated with them. Trying to rein that in and really figure out what needs this level of compliance versus this lower level of compliance. Um, there's a large challenge overall for customers, especially when they have to then talk with their own auditors about proving that compliance itself. So overall, the ability to prove compliance itself really has to evolve once you move into cloud workloads. And then overall, there's just a lot of operational differences. So one of the huge benefits of cloud was just the elasticity, being able to scale out and up and down um, as workloads uh, changed. The overall resilience and security meant that um, your systems tended to be up a lot longer and harder to get into. Um, but that is all additional things that uh, you know the the IT staff have to learn. AWS is a completely different ecosystem than you know the likely VMware and, and traditional server environment they are managing in a data center. Um, and then also too, there's a shared responsibility model that is key in AWS. Um, when you had a data center, you owned the data center, you owned the uh, the power, of the cooling, the actual physical access to um, you know, the servers and the storage and the networking. Um, Whereas in the cloud, AWS is taking care of that piece, but the thing that is still 100% um, your responsibility as a customer using AWS services are things like securing your own servers, um, having backups of the data that's in the servers uh, themselves and the the solutions that you're you're providing. Um, And then last, with all of those differences in accounts, different needs, different requirements, visibility into the actual cost you're spending in AWS, it's very, very tricky. Um, it's simple in the sense that there's a bill that shows up, you know, um, on the first of every month, uh, and you know, and typically that bill goes up and up and up, but being able to really get good visibility into what's actually driving the cost and areas of reducing cost um, becomes very, very complex. So all things to really just consider um, as you continue down that cloud uh, migration journey. So. We actually uh, uh, were able to to help out um, a customer in uh, the Northeast, so Shield Health Solutions, huge uh, healthcare provider in uh, Northeast uh, US. Uh, One of the huge things they had a need for when uh, moving to uh, AWS was immutable backups. That's something we provide uh, by default, something they had a lot of challenge with dealing with for their RDS data specifically. They had a hard time restoring data when there was an issue. We're able to very rapidly even in a large and growing data set, restore that data back very rapidly for them. Um, They also didn't really have good visibility into how a lot of the S3 buckets that they were using are actually configured. Um, And with our discover tool, we provide great visibility into how uh, the things that are within each one of the S3 environments um, and S3 buckets are actually configured. You can see really quickly, hey, do you even have an encryption on your S3 buckets? Which you should. Um, do you have anything that's replicated? Do you have versioning enabled on those buckets? Um, when you have a lot of buckets that does uh, across multiple accounts, that is very hard to see visibly. Um, however, the you know, kind of most important, I think, uh, thing that uh, I liked about how we were able to help out Shields was um, they have a, a small um, you know, smaller IT staff. Um, a lot of retraining associated with it. They have a lot to do um, as part of their uh, migration. A lot of the new uh, services and solutions they want to provide out to, to their customers and end users as well, too, and patients. Um, so one of the things is they don't actually touch Clumio. took them you know, about a week total to get up and running with us. We do a ton of automation uh, as well, um, which customers really, really love. And um, they basically only have to log in now when they have to do some sort of restore. Um, but not only that, we have proactive support. So if a backup fails at two o'clock in the morning, um, somebody from Shields doesn't have to be on the knock knowing that a backup fails. Uh, our team actually will triage um, all those backup failures, start troubleshooting the issues. Sometimes we have that issue fixed before the end users even awaken and notices in the morning. Um, and we're really viewed as an extension to our customers' overall IT teams, um, which saves a lot of time. Um, I don't know of anybody who uh, would say, "Hey, I'd rather be managing backups all day than doing something a lot more valuable and important um, uh, to to their overall organization." And that's really where uh, we step for our step up for our customers. So. Shifting gears a little bit, too, um, one of the other ones I wanted to, to talk about specifically was data lakes. Um, so this is another one, a hot topic that that comes up a lot in uh, a lot of the healthcare and biotech companies that um, I talk to regularly. And they're creating a lot of data lakes. So data lakes themselves are growing. And I always have a fear that, um, you know, some of these customers are going to end up drowning in these data lakes uh, if they don't have a good strategy around them. Um, So there is a huge importance in making sure that the data lakes themselves are actually protected. So if you think about a typical data lake, it has a lot of structured data across different types of databases, right? Maybe RDS, maybe Dynamo, maybe you're doing stuff in an EC2 instance still. Um, You know, some of them are more traditional, some of them not so traditional. And then there's a lot of unstructured data. Maybe it's in a file system somewhere. A lot of it we see is uh, sitting in S3 buckets, And the big thing with all these different data constructs as they're making up the data lakes is there's not a protection strategy typically. And having at least a protection strategy, if you could take one thing away from from this webinar today would be go back and talk to the team responsible for the data lake, start thinking about an overall strategy for protecting that data. Um, Some of the quick tips there. First off, just classify the data based on reproducibility. So, If you kind of think about that, right? What data sets overall are really, really easy to reproduce. If uh, this bucket or this database were to go down that supports my data lake, um, how bad of a day would it be for somebody? Is it gonna be, we can rehydrate that data in a couple hours, a couple days, a week, or is it something where uh, you can't reproduce the data at all? Um, Think about something like a blood sample, right? That's a specific point in time uh, from a person. And if that goes away, you can't go back and ask the person to roll back the clock and grab another blood sample from that exact day and time. Um, so that's data that's truly not reproducible. And that's data that's severely critical to make sure that you do have a backup of in case something were to happen to that, that primary data set. A lot of it too, as you're thinking about this too, is what is the cost of that? Downtime if that data set were to go away, maybe um, something that's not so hard to reproduce. You could reproduce the whole data set maybe in a week, but it's uh, you know really you know um, end facing customers and patients are really dependent on that data and having it back quickly. Um, so that might not be a good patient outcome for them. So it's something that you do want to make sure that you're you're uh, able to reproduce in a lot less than um, you know seven days, two weeks, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, those are really, as you're analyzing that cost of downtime, you're classifying your data based on how reproducible it is. Those are the key areas you can think about and really coming up with that strategy of what areas do I need to back up and what areas are OK to not have a backup on? Because I have the primary data. Some else, It's easier to reproduce and I'm backing up that primary data set. So some key things to, to consider. Um, as you're building out your data lakes, um, really just don't forget to actually protect and back up um, the, the critical data that lives within those data lakes. One of those customers we did help out with us is uh, BioPlus. Um, so they are a, a specialty pharmacy. They have a lot of uh, compliance standards, not just HIPAA, but also Medicare and PCI. right? They, they're a pharmacy, so they are dealing with uh, financial records and things like that as well um one of the other things though is uh we were able to get up and running with them very very quickly so only a couple of days um, we're super lightweight um but one of the other big huge things we were able to help them out with is they have a lot of s3 and it grows uh substantially very very quickly once again they don't have to babysit anything with us the more data that gets thrown into these buckets um we don't they don't have to call us um, we're not only just from a you know, available storage and capacity standpoint, we're a SaaS service. We don't have to provision out storage ahead of time. We'll just grow as their demands grow um, or any of our customers' demands go, grow from that that level. Um, but they have large buckets. And one of the other challenges is if something comes up missing, they don't want to have to restore the entire bucket to pull out one individual object or a handful of objects. So they really enjoyed the fact that we were able to really reduce the amount of time uh, it takes for them to, to recover um, because we can pull out individual files um, or individual objects from from their S3 bucket, and uh, we we show them a very good cost savings um, against the native AWS tools they were losing as well or using as well, um, saving them about 20% overall. So really, uh, you know, great interesting story. A little bit more on the um, uh, you know pharmaceutical side uh, as opposed to the direct uh, patient interaction there but still, once again, found a lot of value with our overall backup and service. Um, So with that, we do also have a specific healthcare solution brief, but uh, that is uh, actually about it uh, that we have uh, time allocated uh, today for this webinar. So uh, if there are any follow-up questions, uh, please feel free to, to contact us. Thank you.